Welcome to Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is just a show away. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest, Dennis Cardiff. We're going to be talking about the homeless today, those people that you walk by, those people you think are lazy and bums, uh, good-for-nothings and drug addicts, those people that have been forgotten and tossed aside. Nobody's born into this world saying, one day I'm going to be homeless. The amount of people that are homeless today is disgraceful. And do not all think that it's just people who are being lazy or people that don't want to get a job or don't want to be part of society. There are mentally handicapped people out there. There are physically handicapped people out there. There are people that were once CEOs of businesses that are out there. They're out there because there's nowhere else to go. They're out there because no one is looking at them. No one is helping them. No one is giving them the dignity. They don't want a hand out. They want a hand up. They want to be helped back into a place where they can actually live and have a purpose in life, have security in life, know they have shelter, have food, but most of all, seen. Now there was a beautiful video a little while ago of a guy doing a demonstration. He put out a banner saying, um, I need money for drugs and alcohol. And people gave him money. You go, man, you go. Then he turned the sign around and got a kid lying on his uh, lap, coughing and spluttering. And the sign said, I need money to feed my family. And everybody walked by. And it was another homeless woman that went over and gave him all the money she had made that day. What does that say about us as human beings? Why do we walk away? Why do we not pay attention? This could be you. It has been me. And we've all got a story to tell. And if we're not willing to listen to the homeless people's story, how are we going to understand how they got there or how we can help them? This is what Dennis did. As he said, some of his best friends are homeless. And he's taken the time to get to know them. He's taken the time to discover their humanity. And he's documented their stories, their tales, in his book, Gotta Find a Home, Conversations with Street People. This is a beautiful journey, and one that I honor very, very much, because so many people walk on by. They're human beings, folks. They're in need, not only of food and shelter, but they're in need of company, of someone to speak to, someone who cares. And have we got so jaded we can't find that within us anymore? Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sarah. Well, you really are doing a beautiful job here. I mean, you've told the stories, their stories, in a book from their point of view. You've spent time with them, you've got to know them, you've given them that dignity. But how did it all start for you? What was it that drew you to them and wanting to know their story? Well, like the people you've uh, mentioned, uh, I was one of the people who walked by. I work in downtown Ottawa in the uh, business district with the uh, tall office buildings. And uh, there was one particular woman who panhandled in front of the library. And I'd see her year after year I remembered her face and uh, I just couldn't imagine uh, how or or why she was uh, sitting outside when I, I thought there were agencies to 
take care of homeless people. I volunteered at a homeless shelter, and I was doing, uh, uh, I worked there for a couple of months, uh, mostly cleaning dishes, cleaning tables, uh, operating the um, dishwasher. Uh, I met a lot of really wonderful people. Uh, one man insisted that uh, I take two of his drawings that he'd done at the, while he was having supper. And I, I said that I couldn't take anything, but he said, I pay my way. He said, uh, you appreciate them. Nobody else here would appreciate them, so I want you to have them. And I was very honored. And uh, as it turns out, he was a well-known artist uh, a while back, but because of the alcoholism, he ended up on the streets. But uh, to get back to, to the woman on the, by the library, I... Uh, I asked a friend who has worked with people who are homeless, who people who are uh, readjusting to life outside prison. I said, "What, what should I do? I, I, I've been told I shouldn't give people money because they'll just spend it on drugs and alcohol. Uh, how do I approach her?" Uh, and the lady said, "Well, maybe she's hungry. Maybe she'd like a coffee." So the next morning, I. I uh, I approached her and asked her if she'd like uh, breakfast and uh, something to drink, and, and she said, yes, tea, please, with uh, three sugars and uh, a breakfast sandwich. So that began the routine that started uh, five years ago uh, after uh, it, it got a bit awkward because sometimes she'd change her mind. Uh, she told me one time that uh, she couldn't eat any more of the breakfast sandwiches because uh, her stomach was very sensitive. Uh, she'd been a drug dealer and uh, uh, one of her clients got very upset and stabbed her in the stomach with a sawtooth machete so her stomach was carved up in pieces. And oh my goodness. She uh, uh, things with, with a lot of grease uh, come back on her. Uh, I'd never imagined anything like that. I couldn't imagine uh, brutality like that, but it's what happens when, when people are uh, under the influence of drugs and when they're involved uh, with drugs, uh, selling drugs, or it's that being world. around people with drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I uh, continue to see her on a daily basis, and uh, uh, instead of giving her Instead of buying her breakfast, I'd uh, purchase uh, $5 Tim Horton cards, and then she could go and uh, eat whatever she wanted, have her tea, have coffee, whatever she wanted. And it proved well with other people, too. Uh, they didn't have to eat right then. They could have it for later, have it, have it for supper if they, if they wanted. And uh, from uh, sitting with her, she introduced me to some of her other friends, and uh, I had the idea that I'd like to write a book, write about their uh, experiences, because I'd, I'd started learning a bit about them, and she said that, that it was a good idea, and so we arranged a time, and uh, there was a park nearby where I work that street people gather on a, on a regular basis when the weather's warm and uh, not too windy. And uh, so I was introduced to probably about a dozen people. And uh, she said, uh, 
visit Dennis. He's my friend. He may act a bit square sometimes, but, but he's solid. Uh, if you have any problems with him, you talk to me. But he wants to write a book. He wants you to tell him your stories, and uh, so the public can get to know what we're like, that we're, we aren't scary, that we're just having a hard time. And one fellow stepped up, and he said, uh, he said, I'll talk to you. He said, get out your notepad and your pen and uh, write this down. So I did. He said, uh, first of all, I was, uh, well, he said, first of all, you referred to us as you guys. He said, we aren't you guys. We aren't a group. We're not like the Kinsmen or the Rotary. We're a lot of us don't have anything in common. Some of us come from different tribes. Some of us are different nationalities. We come from different educational backgrounds. Uh, some of us don't even like each other. But the reason we're in this particular group today is because we know we won't be hassled. We won't be uh, verbally abused. We can share a beer and a joint and uh, just chat for an hour or so, then we'll go on our separate ways. But uh, to get back to his story, he was born on a Micmac reserve. His parents were alcoholic. He said the, the most important person in the village was the priest. And the priest decided that it was best if uh, he was taken away from his parents, as well as his brother and sister, and they would be put in foster homes. Uh, he was sent to a foster home in Boston, and his brother and sister were split up and sent to foster homes in uh, uh, California, Oklahoma, somewhere out there. He doesn't really get much of a chance to see them anymore. But he said his first memory of Boston was sitting under the cement steps of his new home and crying. Mm -hmm. uh, he was forced into an environment where he didn't look like anybody else. He didn't talk like anybody else. Uh, but he did well in school, and he went through college. He uh, joined the Army. He was in two. Uh, he was in the Afghan War and uh, uh, the Gulf War, served two terms with the Marines. And then he came back. Uh, he got married. He was working a steady job, had two children. And uh, things weren't going very well between him and his wife. Uh, he got a call from one of his children who was, who, who was outside, and uh, he was at work. And uh, the child asked him to come home. So he did, and he found his wife in bed with two men. Yeah. And the children were pretty much abandoned out on the front step, so he confronted them. And uh, a fight ensued, and his leg was broken. So he was taken to hospital. Uh, he spent however much time in hospital, a week, two weeks, and uh, was driving home on the freeway when uh, a flatbed semi-trailer uh, changed lanes immediately in front of him and went over his car. And he had uh, ended up with uh, about 150 stitches, uh, all kinds of uh, injuries. His face was lacerated from uh, the glass of the windshield. Uh, it doesn't look bad now, 
but they're, if you look close, there's sort of a spider web of, of scarring that's still there. But he uh, just lost his will for living after that. He said his wife wouldn't allow him to see his children. She didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, he became an alcoholic. And uh, he worked uh, odd jobs. He'd, join, he'd go down to uh, the local labor center where he could line up at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and if there were any jobs uh, available, then he'd be there uh, and take his chances. Uh, he's a very nice man. I've met him several times after and uh, his situation has either improved or not, depending on particular day, but uh, all of the people I met were uh, so, it, it, it's, it's, it almost seems like a contradiction, but they're so honest. People think yeah, of uh, exactly. homeless people as uh, uh, liars, people yeah. who put up fines, and, and they're, they're actually millionaires. They have fortune snatched away, and they pretend they're homeless, they pretend they have injuries, they pretend they... Uh, have no other choices but when you get to know them they're the most honest the most generous uh, the most loving the most loyal people that you're that you'll ever meet and I, I've experienced that myself I was sitting down in the grass and uh, the wind blew up and uh, so I said uh, here put my uh, my jacket on you look cold and uh, I said no I'm fine and uh, Joy said you're cold put the jacket on. So <laughs> I did. And they always would uh, hand me a piece of cardboard or a plastic shopping bag or a cushion to sit on uh, because the grass was, you know, could be a little bit damp depending on the season. Uh, if they had food, they'd, they'd offer to share it with mm-hmm. me. Uh, one time, uh, a fellow, uh, I call him Pierre in a book, I think, but uh, anyway, he said, uh, he says, we're really going to eat in style today. And he reached in his backpack and he pulled out a a Burger King hamburger. And uh, he said it four ways and he he offered me some. And I said, no, I'm I'm fine. I've just eaten lunch. So four people ate this one Burger King hamburger. And uh, they would pass a bottle around and uh, everybody take a slight sip. It was more of a, a tradition than than anything else, it mm-hmm. was, uh, not breaking the circle. In fact, one time I, uh, uh, they were passing around a joint and I, uh, uh, fellow handed me a pipe. I thought to myself, uh, you know, should I take a puff, should I not? I could lose my job. I, you know, if someone smelled marijuana on me, if I couldn't perform my job, I could, I could be fired. I could end up being homeless. I could end up being just like these people are, I'm taking the same chance that that they are right now, so why would I act any differently? So I did. I took a few puffs and passed it on, and uh, they seemed to uh, accept me more after that. Mm -hmm. They knew I wasn't a drinker. I didn't drink, uh, well, it's not that I don't drink at all, but I certainly don't drink at noon when I have to go back to work at at 1 o'clock. But I have... uh, uh, been sociable when somebody brought out a bottle of uh, 
watermelon vodka that I'd never tasted before. They'd never tasted before. They said, you got to try this. So I tried it. Oh, just small sip. But, uh, again, the generosity, the, the comradeship. Yeah. Uh, the protection. Uh, there was one fellow who had just recently gotten out of prison. Uh, he was very big. He was probably about 240 pounds, over six foot tall. Uh, very pallid, uh, as you can expect, uh, prison complexion, uh, very crude tattoos all over his uh, knuckles and wrists. His uh, girlfriend was also very rough. They were both psychotic, and he was eyeing my watch. Now, I only have a Timex watch, but it's shiny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, Joy thought that possibly... Uh, they were after my watch. They seemed to be eyeing it. So she and uh, uh, Pierre uh, said, look, we'll, we'll walk you to the corner just to make sure nothing happened. So they protected me. Um, and they would do that for anyone. And I'd done the same with Joy. Joy got in a fight one time, and I, I protected her. Uh, I'm just one of the family now, just one of the community. I, You know, I work in an office, and they, they don't... Uh, they collect pensions. Uh, now I'm collecting pension too, uh, both Canada pension and old age pension. So I'm starting to see how difficult it would be for me to live on nothing but a pension. Yes. Uh, some of these people um, do have money coming in. Uh, they have enough to pay their rent, even when they're in subsidized accommodation. Uh, they have a few luxuries like a television set and a telephone but uh, in this one case this fellow has a uh, a service dog who can detect uh, if this gentleman uh, is about to have a heart seizure he's actually had 43 heart attacks Wow uh, and has died nine times in hospital so he has to be very careful about his about not getting upset, and uh, if there's a seizure coming on, he has to make sure that he lies down on the floor so he won't fall and hurt himself. Well, with uh, and and bill, he's and he's homeless. Uh, he's not homeless. No, he's uh, living in uh, uh, subsidized accommodation, which means they take all of his pension and they they allocate a certain percentage to his rent. Right. And then he has to live on, on the remainder. Uh, the problem is he can't quite live on the remainder. He can't afford the vet bills. He can't afford food. And he doesn't want to give up his TV because that's his hockey game. That's his entertainment. Right. So uh, he panhandles uh, every day in his wheelchair and uh, manages to get enough money just for the extras to be able to have, a, have some pizza one, once a week uh, to go to one of the malls and uh, sit and have coffee with his friends uh, to go to the odd hockey game. And uh, that's his situation. Uh, some of the others, uh, one has cancer, others have uh, liver and kidney damage uh, they have to take medication for. Uh, others have, uh, you mentioned uh, mental illness. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one woman that I see every morning now. Uh, she's 
she looks 16, but she's actually 26 years old. She's very tiny. She has her hair cut almost like a boy. And uh, I got talking to her, and uh, every morning I ask her how her day's gone. She's staying in uh, a women's shelter uh, called Cornerstone, and uh, she was having problems because her, uh, her roommate was noisy all the time. Uh, and her, her roommate would also dance around naked. This woman was 51 years old, and this young girl didn't want anything to do with that. So she wasn't sleeping. So eventually they did uh, move her out in the hall. So she's sleeping in a cot in the hall, and she's very happy with that. Uh, she came from uh, Dunavit. Uh, when she was 18 years old, she fell off a 50-foot cliff. Uh, she doesn't remember the circumstances very well because uh, it was her 18th birthday. She was uh, high on drugs and was with a few friends, but she thinks that uh, she was possibly pushed off the cliff. She had uh, two broken bones in her leg and her throat was crushed. So they had to do a tracheotomy and uh, uh, they had to reconstruct her throat and she, her voice is, is still a bit raspy right now. Uh, she is also uh, obsessive-compulsive and is uh, prone to depression. So she she doesn't want to take med- medication for that, but she is seeing a doctor, so uh, she is under care. But there are a lot of things that uh, affect her. Uh, she'll get terrified of uh, certain situations that triggers things from her background and she'll just go wild and I've occasionally seen her with uh, bruises on her face and, and I'll ask about them and she says well did I had too much to drink and the paramedics came and I I just lost it so I just started flailing around and uh, they put me down took me to hospital and uh, he said that's where the bruises happen uh, yeah I mean it's, it's, it's you know I mean you um, there was a beautiful story down here in BC, which I don't know if you saw it, um, but it was a, a an undercover cop um, went into a wheelchair for three days, um, and and it was and it was because um, people were targeting the homeless; they were getting ripped off. So he went undercover just to see if he could catch the culprit, and he you know he pretended he was a paraplegic and and couldn't walk. He said what it taught him about humanity. <coughs> excuse me, from the homeless. They bought him food. They took care of him. They protected him. And how everybody came together. And it said it changed his entire perspective of the community of the homeless and how they're there for each other. And that, you know, the people targeting them isn't generally the people in the circle. It's the outside circle that are coming in and preying on them. I mean, they've got nothing to take. They've got nothing to give. As you said, they share on once man another but you've still got those predators on the outskirts that look on them as easy prey. And it certainly changed his entire perspective on the homeless, which is good because now they understand the need more. He said he learned their stories and how they got to being there. And uh, I I think we need more of these stories out there um, to understand that they are human beings. Like talk of the other guy, you know, served two terms 
um, not only broke his leg, then a car accident and his wife takes, you know, the kids and she was at wrong. Um, and it's that spiraling down. It's how much can humanity take before they bottom out? Everybody has a bottom out time in their life, but it's that who's there to help them get back up. And if no one's there to help them get back up, then they lose their direction. Exactly. Uh, I do I have uh, come across a rather heartwarming story. Uh, it's a woman from uh, South America who was uh, on, uh, she was addicted to crack and heroin. She was working in prostitution. She was only 20 years old. And uh, she she developed a, a some kind of a condition from smashing cocaine into her thigh. Oh my uh, God! That uh, it caused her to have to have a, an operation on her hips. Anyway, she went through the operation. She was on a walker and a cane for a while, and she decided to take uh, to turn her life around. So she uh, enrolled in high school, and uh, she's on a methadone program. And she told me yesterday that. Uh, She's now been clean for uh, three years, except for the methadone, which they've uh, uh, taken down to almost nothing. And I asked her how school was going, and she said, well, she said, uh, I'm doing my work okay, but uh, there's one teacher that doesn't seem to like me, and uh, there's groups of kids that uh, talk about me when I walk past and laugh, and, uh, but I can handle that. So... I think she's going to make a really good recovery, but it's unfortunate that she is treated the way she is, that because she's different, uh, she's laughed at, and high school can be the most cruel place oh, in the world. Absolutely. Kids are, are, are vulnerable. Um, yes. You know, the way they treat one another. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that every single one of them knows the suffering of pain of being picked on. Uh, mm -hmm. yet they turn around and, and do it to someone else. And so a very vicious cycle. I think, you know, I think not one person on this planet is walking around that isn't uniquely different. And if we can get over this difference thing and mm -hmm. embrace people for the uniqueness that they are, you know, we'd have one of those problems nipped into the bud. Um, I have a, a good story as well of a young friend who went to school with my children. And she has for probably 18 years of her life been a drug addict. And, um, you know, on and off the wagon. Uh, she was a functioning one, so still did her work, etc. Until one day she just completely bottomed out. She was living out of her car. And then her car got impounded. So she was living on the streets. And, uh, you know, it was all about that next fix and that next fix. And then just one day it was just that was it that was it it was the turning point for her she had reached her bottom mm -hmm. and uh, you know she went to to rehab and as she said from rehab she came out of there thinking of her fix but she had somebody pick her up immediately and take her straight off to um, the other area the th where they do the therapy and she said that's the key don't just send them to rehab and let them out on their own you have to then take them off to uh, this other program which then goes through the therapy because you've got to break the mental cycle right right it's not just you know the the need for drugs that's a withdrawal in itself but there's that mental need for it what is it covering up 
um, because it is an addiction like alcohol is drugs are an addiction um, and uh, in people who uh, overeat I mean people have an addictive nature and it's generally covering something up today she's completely clean she's uh, done a wonderful show with me on it um, and she speaks out now to the solutions and also to the people who are around uh, people with um, you know who have addicts for children or spouses or whatever and I think you f you think about all these homeless people and especially that young girl and it's like how come she's you know out there where is her family but there isn't a program to equip the family to deal with people on, on drugs or alcoholism or bottomed out and so nobody knows what to do with them and so they put their hands up in the air and just let them go right uh, yeah, since I've been, been involved with uh, homeless people, I've also come in contact with, obviously, uh, many problems with domestic violence. Uh, uh, a lot of situations where people just aren't given justice for one reason, reason or another. Uh, so I, I become a champion for feminism, for equality, e universal equality, uh, equality of... Uh, income. I'm a champion for low-income housing. Uh, so many things that could be done that aren't being done. And we aren't different than one another. We're, we're all human beings. We all have the same basic needs for food, shelter, and love. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can't segregate people and say that they're not right or they're, they're bad or they're inferior or they're just not us, that's all. They're others, and we are us. <laughs> yes. But we're not really just us. We're, we're us as a, as a humanity, as yeah. uh, animals and people and nature. Uh, it's all the same. If we destroy any, any element, uh, we destroy ourselves. And the thing is about, you know, us and them is that you never know what your circumstances are down the road, that you could become them. Oh, yes. And, and you know, people didn't, I mean, I lived out um, of our car for a while um, when, you know, a, a deal went sideways. And, and, you know, fortunately it was the summer, but, you know, two people on a dog and a minivan. And, uh, you know, it was it was quite hairy you know mm -hmm. no no insurance on the car trying to find places to you know to securely park that's not going to be patrolled and um and you know yeah yeah it's uh it's i'm glad for the experience um but i'm very glad i'm not still there and um mm -hmm. you know it's i know that uh, a lot of the homeless people or you know maybe just on subsidy where they've got shelter um, if you offered them kind of something else now, they probably wouldn't take it. They formed their own community. Uh, we had a mentally handicapped kid, uh, he has schizophrenia. And you'll hear him walking and pacing and walking and pacing and he might be screaming or shouting at, at himself, you know, whatever. The imaginary person is there. But when you speak to him face to face, such courtesy, such respect. Uh, whatever food you give him or money you give him, it's always received with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And you had some people in the community, ugh, ugh, he's a disgrace, we've got to get rid of him, ban him. And then you have others saying, you know, get knotted. Um, I, I've seen people in Mercedes and things like this get out of their car and then give him food or give him money 
because they know that um, he won't go into a shelter, he won't go into a building. He literally lives in a tent under a bridge. Um, mm -hmm. And I was on the bus one day when he was there and the bus driver was saying something and I said, do you realize he's homeless? I said, he's riding the bus to keep warm. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, well, what about the government? And I said, the government cut all the funds to exactly. help the homeless. They used to get, you know, warm blankets. They used to get this. The, I mean, you know what the problem is. If they don't have a bank account, they can't receive any money. But they can't get a bank account if they don't have an address. Yes, exactly. So they can't even receive any subsidy. Mm -hmm. And if the backpack is stolen, they don't have uh, any identification so that mm -mm. they can get even their basics like a health card and social insurance card. So they can't apply for anything. And there were a bunch of kids that uh, stole his stuff. He had nothing. His whole world is in this backpack. His exactly. clothes are torn, yet they still stole from him. Mm -hmm. And you know, that is n his entire life in that backpack and his, yes. you know, his security. And it's, um, you know, who knows where his family is. They gave up on him a long time ago. Um, and he's, you know, when, you, when he lets you in, you know, he's a really sweet kid with unfortunately a severe mental disorder that you know uh, he's got a mental disorder toss him aside mm -hmm. and we've got to stop tossing people aside haven't we yes well I have a mental disorder as well I'm bipolar I'm also uh, obsessive compulsive I take medication uh, I had a job for 15 years with the government and uh, I thought that everything was all taken care of I'd uh, Pen uh, I would have a healthy pension when I retired, and um, uh, we were in the middle of building a house, a $200,000 home on a lake, and uh, all of a sudden the government uh, decided that they'd cut back, and our department went from 33 people to 11 people. Wow. And uh, I was without a job. I was able to find a temporary job, but then that ended and uh, we had to declare bankruptcy and lost the house, lost my truck, uh, lost a lot of our possessions. Luckily, my wife was had, had, had employment, so we were able to scrape by on her, her salary. If I'd have been single, I would be on the street. Right. There wouldn't have been any other op option. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, is that easy? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not joking when, when you could come across people that have been CEOs of companies, mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, during that whole, you know, big, lovely banking thing that happened in 2008 that had a ricochet everywhere. Um, you know, you've got, it's never judge, never, never mm -hmm. judge. Yeah, I like the four agreements, you know, speak your word with integrity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't take anything personally because it's their issue, not yours. Don't assume ask get their story first and then simply do your best measured by what is best within you not somebody else's assumption of what it is and uh, those four agreements could really i think hold hold humanity well yeah don miguel ruiz mm -hmm. that you the author right yes don i've yeah. read uh, all of his books yeah. yeah yeah and i agree with them completely and it's simple the simple codes of conduct and mm -hmm. you know it's there was another video I saw which I thought was wonderful um, this guy gave this guy some money and the guy said to him will you wait here and he said yes oh, okay he went and bought food for both of them and he said no I gave you the money for you and he said no I want you to eat with me mm -hmm. 
Will you just sit and talk with me and eat with me? And this is something else. They're not just starving for shelter and for food. They're starving for conversation, starving to be seen, starving to be heard. Exactly. And, and it's, to sit down and listen to their story, you'll realize that it's not, you know, um, a lot of people just think that, you know, they're being drug addicts all their lives or they're being thieves or this or that. I mean, there's, there's assumption out there. Stop assuming take the time to get to know you know and and help and if you don't want to give them money then like you said give them a um a food card or even give them a loaf of bread with some butter and jam you know take them into a restaurant yes buy them a coffee yeah. buy them dinner mm-hmm. uh, I, I i met a man he uh he wore sunglasses all the time he had a long beard uh i eventually learned that he was from iran but he didn't want to uh that right away. Uh, he wore the glasses because he was cross-eyed. He thought that uh, it was. Uh, he, he he thought people would be uh, wouldn't like his appearance because because he was cross-eyed. So that's why he wore the sunglasses. But anyway, I uh, often took him into a restaurant and we'd uh, share breakfast. And he told me the most wonderful stories of. Uh, he lived uh, out in the park in the middle of winter. Uh, squirrels would come and sleep in a sleeping bag. And uh, he wasn't able to, he had a problem um, reading, but he, he was well educated. And he'd go to the library and look through the books and uh, uh, recognize all the things that he'd studied in school. And he would be able to read a few words, and uh, that would re- remind him of what he'd, uh, what he'd learned before. But an absolutely fascinating man, but one that uh, he didn't even have his cap out. He just stood uh, by the library and uh, um, until it was time that, that either he had to use the washroom or, or he wanted to get out of the cold for a while and go inside the library. And the libraries are being very accommodating now because mm-hmm. uh, they know that, that this is a service that, that is needed in the downtown core. And uh, for women as well, uh, they're in such a vulnerable position, it's dangerous. Uh, I've also uh, become an advocate for uh, uh, rights of sex workers. Uh, I was talking to a woman the other day, and uh, I knew I knew her husband had told me that she'd been uh, working as a prostitute, and I just casually asked her, like I asked a lot of people, how are you doing today? And she says, well, I'm doing what I have to to survive, to make it through the night. And that's the position we've we put people into. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs protection. Everyone needs uh, equality and justice. Uh, the governments aren't giving that to us. Uh, and th- as you say, there are predators who are taking advantage of that. Yes. So, um, I mean, you know, there's so many corporations out there that, you know, really... Um, you know, it's it's not writing their tax dollars off and donating to a charity. It's that, you know, they could set up these programs. I mean, even, you know, discovering what gifts that the street people have and maybe even giving them a job, you know, in cleaning the streets or doing something in their neighborhood and exactly. paying them for it. You know, it's yes. you may have a brilliant artist there that could do some wonderful artwork. You, you may have storytellers that could read kids during the lunch hour. Uh, you may have people that are really great at kind of cleaning off graffiti or doing this. They, they want to have that sense of dignity, a sense of pride. 
uh, as you said, the guy that gave you the paintings, you know, the drawings. Mm -hmm. um, yes. it, it isn't just about take, it's allow me to give back. And mm -hmm. if we did that and gave that opportunity, you know, we would see them most certainly have a better quality of life, but just giving them back that dignity and that liberty, which is everybody's right to have. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I really consider these people national treasures. And uh, if people could, you know, if they could be brought into the library and introduced to even the people who were there at noon hour and uh, be allowed to tell their story and mm -hmm. ask... Uh, you know, people could ask questions, and uh, that would be a good opportunity. Mind you, some of these people have problems with agoraphobia, and uh, you know, they're shy and they're embarrassed. And but uh, yeah, there should be some way of. Uh, I, I know some very good things have been done in documentaries. If we could do more of that, that would be yeah. even better. Yes, I, I had another gentleman. Um, um, who did a beautiful job of, of 25, 26 years of buying homeless signs from the homeless. Instead of just giving them money, he'd buy their sign from them. And uh, he kept these signs and then made a, a huge art collage of it, which was in New York at the beginning of the year. And of course, it's brought a great deal of attention now to it and opening up Willie Burnett. And, and Burnett, and you know, the thing is, is that we can all, I mean, he had no idea it was ever going to get this big or bring this amount of attention. He just didn't want to hand out money. He wanted to give them something, it, like a trade, right, a negotiation, uh, to give them some dignity. And, and, and it's grown to this. He's just kept doing it through the years. When you first started talking to them, when you paid attention to Joy, you didn't know you were going to be writing a book on this um, and bringing this awareness. That's part of your life's journey. And in your life's journey, you're, you're shedding the light on something that's really, really important. Um, and something we are ignoring far too much. You know, every country has this problem. Every country. But you, right now, I would say in North America, when you, um, especially America, where they have, I couldn't tell you the amount of houses that are empty, that the banks took back during that whole crash and uh, completely sent families out to living in their car. You have all those empty houses. Why aren't you filling them? You exactly. know, the logics are there. Is what are the reasons for not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've watched a lot of uh, documentaries, even on Netflix, about people who have helped the homeless. But uh, city council uh, and certain people in the city didn't like their church being used as a shelter for outsiders for people who maybe weren't of their their faith or oh how how um godly of them exactly, exactly. <laughs> when they come to this particular city because jobs were being offered but they couldn't they couldn't work if they had no place to stay so right. the church offered them a place to stay it, uh, it's it's sense. not the people's house it's god's house for exactly. the people for all yes. people Yes, not just the ones that have the greatest voice or who happen to make the largest uh, deposit in the collection plate. If you have no humanity towards man, and then you, the hip hypocrisy is, don't go to church. Yes. Because you are not, uh, you cannot, you know, a lot of people do that. They go on the Sunday and they think that their, you know, their sins for the week are cleaned. Um, and, you know, they're all very righteous and they're all very 
dictatorial and uh, it's uh, I'd like them to have a good conversation with themselves in the mirror and uh, and see what looks back at them um, because that judgment and that um, assumption and that uh, just you know just disposing of people because they're different or they're dirty or they're, they're, well if they're dirty get them clean clothes give them a bath mm -hmm. <laughs> you know give them a hot meal give them a place to stay exactly right don't assume that everybody's out there to kind of murder you in your sleep mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah these were uh, very ordinary people who'd left the families behind and uh, were trying to uh, get employment to provide for the families they weren't uh, they weren't lawless right uh, wanderers they'd come there specifically for the purpose of, of obtaining employment so it's uh it's really a shame and and the more i read the more discouraged i become uh i mean we there's just so much to do but uh, we can only start within ourselves by doing it with the, with the people we meet and in the situations we're in. Uh, we can't necessarily uh, solve world hunger, but we can feed a homeless person. Yes, we've been talking with a, a lovely young woman who's who just doesn't understand why we still have hunger in today's day and age. And, uh, you know, why we have such inequality and why people are still going hungry. It's just should not be. And especially when you think of how many restaurants throw so much food out. Um, and it's all, um, you know, um, sh um, supermarkets and things, you know, um, the waste is deplorable. Um, but, you know, she's wanting to kind of drop the crater and that's just going to disperse people not bring them together and we have to look at the ripple effect we have to look at you know each drop each time you spend attention on one person that ripples out to the next and the next and the next so even if it's only one person that you help and you know let's let's face it folks there are single mums that are barely able to pay their rent and their kids are hungry and uh, but you don't see it because you know they maybe hide it um, mm -hmm. You know, pay attention to the people around you. Um, pay attention to your community. You've got you've got some richer communities that um, you know think well. Everybody around here is okay. You don't know, and if you're going to go around a judgment, assumption, and and mm -hmm. certainly this condemning of people because they've hit hard times, um, then shame on you. Uh, mm -hmm. y everybody can step up and do a little something. And you know we need to, we need to get everybody to do it in one way or the other, even if it's sitting down and having a chat, buying some McDonald's or Tim Hortons cards for them for food, uh, supporting your food banks, that's really important. But again, mm -hmm. the food banks may help that single mum with an address, but if they don't have an address, they can't go food. They, um, we uh, our local food bank where we were. Um, they used to feed this homeless guy and then somebody complained oh he he should be coming you know and it's and it's like what what you would rather see him starve to death you know and, oh and, and, and people can only go to food banks so many times i think it's only once a month um so it depends a, where you are box of uh, groceries and they're limited in what they can have and they can often trade one thing for another but it's it's not as if they can just go every day and and up the fridge. No, no, exactly. 
and it doesn't go very far. And no. and these, you know, the people that are running them, because I've done a show on the woman who ran the local food bank. I mean, she's been doing this for a number of years, and you know, it breaks her heart, you know, to to see how little food, and she can only give as much as she is supported. Exactly. And exactly. she said, but she's also that that counselling arena when somebody comes in that's just at the end of their tether. You know, she's that ear, that voice, that comfort for them as well. And, um, you know, we forget it's not just the feeding of their stomach or the shelter, it's the feeding of the soul and the heart. And they're never going to get out of their cycle and be able to, you know, face those challenges and rebuild their lives if they're still stuck in their pain. Right. Yeah, they have have to be given back their dignity and their self-confidence and their self-worth. And uh, they have to be allowed to contribute to society. And it's up to the government to to provide that. Well, you let's know, not just put it all on the Yeah, let's not put it all on the government because we no. know that they that they you know they're they're inefficient. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So you know, let's let's look to the communities. You know, let's yes. look to the businesses. You know, uh, how about the people in the businesses all come together and say, okay, that this is so much produce I'm going to donate every every month, or, or clothes so much I'm going to donate, or haircuts I'm going to donate, and uh, and make it into one conglomerate so the people in that community know they can go and get a haircut, or they can go and get food, or they can go and get this and that, um, because the communities come together. You know, we have to go back to the village. We have to go back to helping one another. That village was only as strong as the people working together. Exactly. And we have to go back to that. And, you know, um, I think it's time. And I think that's where you're going to see it. The humanity is going to be from that those individuals like yourself. Those people who see that this is wrong and that you need to give them a voice and give them that dignity. And it's it's people like you that are sending out those wonderful uh, ripple effects that are having effect on other people and it's well I don't know where they are I don't know how to help them well there are organizations aren't they mm-hmm. um, you've got this organization that you talk about um, I OIM uh, street outreach mm-hmm. and that's in uh, um, in Ottawa oh yes yes the auto inner city uh, ministries Right, so you've got yes. that, and and there are so many organisations around that, that, of course, the homeless people aren't going to find because they don't have computers or phones mm-hmm. or things like that. And so, if you know that there is something out there, um, in your neighbourhood, and you find somebody that's in need, you know, tell them about it, take them there. Exactly. You know, yes, uh, yeah. you know, h- help them through it because we need more of these organisations, but we can't rely on the government. Government's about cutbacks. It's about mm-hmm. throwing people away. It's not about enabling. It's uh, up to us as uh, as a human race to support one another and look mm-hmm. to the people in our own communities and our own village and step up out of the plate. And if you're living in a very rich society, then take a percentage of, your, of that money and say, okay, I am going to give X amount of money every month to these organizations that are doing the great work. Step mm-hmm. up to the plate. Right. Yeah, civic administrations are more concerned about uh, tourism than they are about actually uh, solving the situation of homelessness. So they just move people along so that uh, it becomes a responsibility of another ward. Mm -hmm. And they just keep moving around and around and around, and uh, uh, it doesn't solve anything. But it it does take up an awful lot of uh, police time.
terribly yes. expensive to to operate that way. Yeah, we have an area that, um, you know, we've had Expo, we've had the Olympics, and we have one strip here. I've been here 35 years now here in BC, and we've got this one strip in Vancouver that they've tried to clean up and change, and it's they've never moved them on, they've never changed it if they have new people have come in. But this is where this cop was placed, and this mm-hmm. is where he got opened up. Yes, you have some people that are just high all the time, and they're a detriment to themselves and to their others when they get like that. Um, and and then you have others that just simply, you know, want to be a part of a community, just want to feel that they're connected to something. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, have, have that shelter and that security and not worry about somebody coming to try and steal from them or stab them in their sleep. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, you say you've lost seven friends and a dog during the mm-hmm. writing of this book. I mean, that's yes. a lot. It is. And these people have all died in their uh, late 40s. And uh, wow. that's, you know, half of a lifetime. Yes. They could be living into their 80s, but uh, yeah. they can't when they're on the street. And uh, I've read studies that say that if you're on the street for two weeks, you will develop mental illness. You'll develop uh, paranoia. Yes, stress. And yeah. Yes. And, and stress is... Uh, Stress is very dangerous to the body. It it, uh, it it eats the body, so we have to we have to prevent that. Yeah, have to offer some comfort, some reassurance, some some love to the rest of the community. And you know, find out what it is they can do, mm-hmm. because, as you said, they've all got, you know, uh, some abilities that they've walked away from, and mm-hmm. it's just it was just life's interruption. Now you know some people can face those redirects and bottom out and pick themselves up and you know manage to, to redirect their lives into a much more fruitful purposeful life but they either had people around them that helped them or they had a lot of courage within them to do that um mm-hmm. not everybody is that fortunate and so when you have somebody that's had something catastrophic happen to them that's put them in this position um they just weren't as lucky or they didn't recognize the help around them at the time because if people are spiraling mm-hmm. down, they don't always see it. They have to bottom out first. Um, but it's not for us to judge. Um, it is for us to to care and to give a damn. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah, I have one friend who, uh, uh, he used to pan, uh, panhandle on the streets uh, to get money to make sandwiches and distribute to the homeless. But he was so pestered by the police. And he's a very religious person, and he... He felt that God was telling him not to panhandle, that, that he would be provided for. So he just uses his pension, buys uh, loaves of bread and, and uh, sandwich meat and sandwich fillings of, of all kinds. And every single morning at about 4 o'clock, he makes his rounds to all the places under the bridges and uh, uh, in the back alleys and in the parking lots and in the dumpsters, around the dumpsters, and he gives out sandwiches, and then he, when he's downtown, he gets a couple of trays of coffee, and he goes back on the same route and gives coffee to the same people that he's um, he's given the sandwiches to. And uh, this he's all doing off pension. And, right. Uh, he, he was confronted by the police one time, and uh, he said, you know, I, I've only got a grade five education. 
but this is what I'm able to do. Yeah. <laughs> and why would you get in his face? Exactly. Why? I don't understand this. Yes. Oh, yeah, it, uh, you know, there's so much wrong. But we can, you know, as human beings, come together and put it right. Uh, you know, I challenge anybody listening to this show to to contact you and find out who this guy is and set up a fund for him so that he, he can actually go out there and still do his sandwiches and his coffee, but not at his expense. Yes, and even while he's, uh, if he takes someone to a restaurant, he reads Bible verses to them. And he, uh, you know, he's... He, it's his way. That's right. Somebody will say, uh, "Well, could I have a beer with my sandwich?" He said, "No, that's not. That's not. That's not what God intended me to do. To supply you beer." Right. But you will listen to His word, and you'll have a good meal, and you'll have a coffee, and then you can go on and maybe help somebody else. And that's the way it's meant to be. So yeah. I challenge anybody: come on, help this guy, um, and help you to help the the them over there. I mean, um, you've written this book. Got to find a home. Conversations with street people. Um, how do people find it, and how do they kind of support the homeless through it? I get a lot of uh, comments on my blog. Uh, I have a, a blog with the same name, Got to Find a Home. WordPress.com. I've had over I have sixty six thousand followers on that blog, and a lot of people tell about their own experiences. I'm also I, for the last. Uh, year I've been on Twitter and I have 45,000 followers there and it's all organizations that have something to do with the homeless either want to uh, be involved in one way or another mm -hmm. uh, and I have Facebook pages I have uh, a LinkedIn account I have a good read reads accounts and I think I have something like 200,000 followers, so I am getting the word out, and Good. people are coming back to me with their stories and what their communities are doing, and, and how our community can do what theirs are doing, and uh, so it's been a very positive project. I mean, it's not just the sale of the book, but uh, talking about the book. Yes, and, and just really kind of having your whole life, you know, changed by reading these stories, you know. Um, yes. You know, we, we're not as grateful for our own lives as we should be. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's always somebody having it harder than you. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, it's just appreciating still the fact that they've still got so much humanity in them. Mm -hmm. Right? They, they know their situation. They haven't given up or given in. They look out for each other. And uh, and they have more humanity than most people do. Right. So it's just, um, a wonderful thing to see. Of course, all those links, folks, are on the posting, um, as well as to where to buy the book and um, and reach out to Dennis. Um, I really and do... And just Google me. And Google it. Well, you don't need to Google you. It's all here. You're all oh, here. Okay. It's <laughs> all here on, on your page here. Uh, everything about you is here. Um, and the your blog and everything. So I I love it when people have this wonderful redirect in life. You know, something they did, um, a simple thing. By one simple thing of you paying attention to one homeless person, you stopped walking by. You started paying attention. And from that, look where it's led. And as you said, you're an advocate now. You're, you know, speaking out for them. You're bringing awareness, um, helping other people 
bring that awareness that they can do things in their community you know the book um the 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 dignification that you bring to them everything so i love it when people embrace their journey even though they had no idea it was going to be like this and what a wonderful journey you're on i agree it's uh it's been very rewarding for me i've learned so much and made so many friends that they're my best friends i can honestly say that yeah and uh I was just visiting with him uh, the other day, and uh, and uh, Jake came up to me and said, "Now, Dennis, you gotta admit, this is the real thing. This isn't bullshit. This is honesty, and it is. Yes. You know, we we put up with so much, uh, so much surface stuff, and ignore real human needs. But uh, the homeless community, they know what it's like to be." You know, everything for them is a life and death situation. Yeah. And, you know, there isn't the time for the bull, is there? No. You know, or for the and superficial. they have to be able to depend on, on each other. Yes. They have to know who's behind them and who's against them. Exactly. And so they're there for each other. And, you know, just... Um, yeah, I, I can't blame the public in some ways because some of them can look rather menacing and you don't want to just go up there. Uh, on your own, you know, especially if you're a woman, you're not sure. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. okay, you know, make it a, a two or three of you go together and just, you know, go. Why don't you start off by knowing who the homeless people are in and and start off with some copies, um, mm -hmm. you know, or start off with some sandwiches of your own and just say, look, we have no idea what your needs are, but this is our offering and we would love to find out how we can help you. And there is so much that we can do if we just reach out and let go of our own fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that doesn't go down the dark alley looking for them, folks. You know, because oh, then, no, no. you know, they're, they're not down there. They're in the parks. They're, you exactly. know, in the real public frontal things. That's where you go. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, there will be always somebody that is not as honest or, um, you know, has those criminal natures. They're everywhere in society. And it's just use your, your good sense to know the difference and stop painting them all with the same brush. Exactly. And talking as painting, you are an artist of many talents. Um, oh, have you ever thought about doing kind of an art show with them, with their art? Um, I don't... It, it's really hard uh, to communicate with these people because I don't know their addresses. Most of them don't have uh, phone numbers. I don't come across them regularly enough to actually collect artwork. But that is a, is a terrific idea if it, uh, if it could be done. And yeah. I'll certainly mention that to the people that I know who are creative. Well, I think that would be the next fabulous book. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know, possibly uh, a place like the public library would be an ideal place. Yes, exactly. For an exhibit. Absolutely, definitely. That's well, a great you idea. Thank you. Good. There's, uh, you know, there's always things that we can do, but that this this is something that then they've contributed, not just their story, but you know their yeah. own art, and and it doesn't have to be the perfect drawing. It could be even a piece of poetry, or you know just um, you know something that they want to share that you know mm -hmm. that um, that you know then can, and and it can be then then that if they've contributed it, you know the proceeds from that it helps go to supporting them. So sure. And uh, and that gives them something to feel very proud of. Great idea. There we go. Well, <laughs> I thank you very, very much for the work that you're doing. And, well, thank uh, you, sir. 
and this is wonderful and uh, you know I encourage people you know like the guy making the sandwiches he shouldn't have to pay for it out of his pension he can hardly live himself um, $300 e e a month right and so how does he you know afford give coffee mm -hmm. and sandwiches to somebody every day and you know right. where is he living um, even yourself with the amount of you know food cards and everything else that you take out you're on a pension now as well and you know there's so many people with way too much money and don't know what to do with it and there are so many people in need of it you know money is money is dignity because it can mm -hmm. give and allow or it can take away and there are so many rich people that are so poor uh, you know the poor in, in morals or poor in self-esteem or you know this become such slaves to the money and the fear mm -hmm. of losing it um, and then there are other people this that a few extra dollars a day is the difference between eating or going hungry and yes. it's time for us to kind of balance things out a little more and be aware so I challenge anybody listening to this show to reach out uh, go to his Twitter go to his Facebook look at the organization see if there are any in your area and see how you can step up and support it might be even um, clothes that you no longer need um, or outdated that you can give and especially remember when come winter they need warm socks they need scarves, they need mitts, they need hats, they need sleeping bags. Step up and help. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. It's been a delight speaking with you. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Sarah. And everybody out there, come on now. Let's step up to the plate. Let's make a difference in somebody else's lives. This is what humanity is all about. Until next time.